radical left-wing environmentalists are still wreaking havoc on our economy and undermining the rule of law in Canada. They must be stopped. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to The Candace Malcolm Show. I'm really pleased today to be joined by my friend Aaron Gunn. Aaron is an independent journalist, a common sense pundit, and he recently ran for the leadership of the BC Liberals. We're gonna get into all of the juicy details about that. Aaron Gunn is one of the few voices in British Columbia that advocates for common sense and for respect for the taxpayer. With over 50 million video views and thousands of followers, Gunn has become a steadfast opponent of cancel culture and identity politics. Gunn couldn't stand by while politicians appeased the woke mob and disrespected taxpayers. This is why Aaron Gunn decided to run for the leader of the BC Liberals on an explicitly conservative platform. But unfortunately, after gaining the support of thousands of members, he was unfairly barred from running for the upcoming leadership race by the BC Liberals Leadership Election Organizing Committee. It's a wild story. We're going to talk about all of it on the show today. But first, Aaron Gunn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Candice. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, you're a familiar face on the show. You've been on a number of times, and we were sort of talking to you in the midst of your platform launching your campaign. It seemed to be a lot of momentum and a lot of excitement. And then you just sort of, you know, the BC Liberals just sort of put a wall in front of you. Uh, so, so why don't you walk us through what, what happened there? And, uh, you know, is, is, is that it for your political career when they, when they told you could run? Or do you still have plans? And what, what's up next for you? Well, I'll tell you right off the bat, we're definitely uh, just getting started. But what happened was we were in the race for about two weeks. We had, had signed up and, and garnered the support of thousands of British Columbians. Uh, in a party, the BC Liberal Party, that uh, was in pretty rough shape. And just to take a step back, this is a party that's supposed to be brands itself as a free market coalition of liberals and conservatives. And they asked for my help during the last election. Uh, one of the candidates asked, asked for my endorsement, asked for me to campaign for him. And uh, they asked me to run as a candidate for them. So we put our name forward. We tried to mobilize the social media following. I think that the people that control the party uh, got scared that we were going to pull this off and win. Um, and then out of nowhere, they basically came out and said that my views were somehow inconsistent with that of the party. They mentioned reconciliation and um, without providing any examples whatsoever and basically mixed the candidacy right there. So um, a lot of people ask me, how can they do that? It's just an unelected seven person committee. And of course, the irony and the hypocrisy of all this is that unelected committee, none of the people on it are Indigenous. And the one Indigenous person in the race, Alice Ross, uh, has appeared in my videos and supported my entry into it. So um, I think it was just about a small group of people trying to hold on to the little enclave of political power that they've carved out for themselves. And uh, they viewed me as a threat to that. Well, rightfully so. I mean, you are a threat. And it's, it's it, you know, in the best kind of way, you're a threat because you're, you're an actual you know, you, you speak for the people and, and your your message really resonates, which is why you have such a big following online, Aaron. You know, it's interesting because I, I hear a lot of people complain when elections roll around that they don't like any of the candidates. It's like, really, you know, we, we this is this is the best we can come up with. And, you know, it, it doesn't really feel like true democracy when you're, you're, you're kind of given a selection of like three or four very similar politicians. And it seems like the saga with, with them blocking you 
is exactly the problem because they have these the political parties hold so much power in our system. And, you know, it's a decision of, of a small, like you said, unelected group of, of people who, who are claiming to speak for an entire big tent party that's supposed to be liberals and conservatives. So. So, 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 so what, what, what's next for you? I know, I know you said that you're just getting started. I know that there were some rumors out there that you might be uh, running an independent campaign or going over and joining the BC Conservatives, which is a very small uh, party, but, but you know, maybe, maybe with someone with your uh, you know, star power, you might lift the, the fortunes of that party. What, uh, are, are you, are you going to seek out another party or what are you going to do? Well, first off, I have to agree with you 100% that the political parties in Canada wield way too much power. Um, obviously, in other countries and other systems, um, there's a lot more limits on that on that power, and uh, that's that's a really unfortunate thing. Now, the solution to that, or the only solution to that, is to go and create new parties or breathe life into kind of small existing parties. So that's exactly what we're looking to do uh, at kind of our wrap up event. We had a big event in Chilliwack. We or I promise that during the next or by the time of the next provincial election, there will be a new common sense alternative that British Columbians can vote for without holding their nose. Now, whether that's a new party, uh, whether that's the BC Conservatives, as we've been talking to people there, um, that still remains to be seen. And we're going to make sure we do our due diligence before we uh, reveal all our cards. But uh, the status quo in British Columbia, like much of the country, uh, I might add, is just not, not um, in my opinion, not acceptable. And, and I think British Columbians and Canadians, generally speaking, deserve a lot better than the choices uh, that they've been given recently. So it's interesting, uh, Aaron, because one of the criticisms I've heard from the political left in British Columbia is that they're not happy with the NDP government because they think that the government uh, is going too hard against these blockades and these protesters, and 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 you know the left thinks that what the premier should should step in and and cancel all these projects and block them all. I know that you uh, through your independent reporting, through your excellent political series, Politics Explained, uh, you you know this issue inside and out. So if for us, uh, the rest of us watching and the rest of the country, uh, it it almost feels like deja vu. It's like wait. Protesters are, are up in Ferry Creek again, and okay, now they're now they're blocking coastal gas link. Like, is is this just going to happen again and again? So, I'm I'm wondering if you can help us understand. Let's let's start with the Ferry Creek ones because those were the ones that were going on earlier this fall in September, um, and and that's that's up on Vancouver Island. I believe you visited that site. Um, can can you talk a little bit about uh, what that project is and why the protesters are uh, what what the protesters are doing and what they hope to accomplish? Yeah, well, the the first thing I think I should just mention you listed them off: Ferry Creek, Coastal Gas Link, throw TMX in there as well. These kind of ongoing blockades and and um, acts of uh, of breaking the law to try to make a political point that have continued through BC. The thing you have to understand or that Canadians have to understand is that this is an industry. This is a protest industry. So just like any industry, they have to keep money flowing in and they have to keep their activities going. So they will always find something to protest, regardless of the facts on the ground. With regard to Ferry Creek, that was a just a run-of-the-mill uh, cut block in British Columbia um, that a company called Teal Jones bid on and had the rights from the provincial government. Um, and that uh, activists clung to, it's about two hours outside of Victoria and started protesting and started trying to paint as, as somehow the last old growth or ancient forest in British Columbia. 
which just isn't true. There are 10 million hectares, so billions of trees that are already protected in provincial parks and old growth management areas. And they were just um, uh, cutting down a really small part uh, as is done throughout British Columbia, forestry is our most important industry. And the amazing thing that just shows the hypocrisy of these activists, you're talking about an industry that is 100% sustainable and renewable. We have the highest environmental standards in the entire world, much like oil and gas and mining. And the other thing is um, that particular uh, cut block up in Ferry Creek was 100% in partnership with local First Nations. And then now the NDP government under the pressure from the activists has deferred about a third of old growth logging in British Columbia or so-called old growth logging. And who gets hurt by that the most? Not the big corporations who just take their money from British Columbia and go buy sawmills in the United States, but local First Nations and small forestry dependent communities that now um, have no local economy and uh, have, have no more local jobs for people in those communities to go work. So. Um, it's a really damaging decision, but uh, of course, even with the moves by the NDP government, these activists always want more and more and more and honestly aren't going to rest until all of our industries are, uh, are put out of work. It's interesting because it, I, I hear the rumbling from the political left saying that they want the NDP government to do more, but you, you make an excellent point that the, it's like whenever the NDP is in power in British Columbia, the forest, the forestry industry suffers. I remember in the 90s, uh, growing up in BC, and there were so many communities that were devastated by the closure of pulp and paper mills. A lot of young men were just moving to Alberta because there were no opportunities uh, in, in, in British Columbia. And it seems like that might that might be happening again, except for now we're in an unfortunate position where you know the, those kind of jobs don't exist in Alberta in, in, in as large numbers. Let's, let's shift gears then and talk about the coastal gasoline because that was the one that we saw multiple protests throughout November, um, including arrests. And that was the, the pipeline that David Suzuki um, said that it would be a shame if, if someone blew up this pipeline, uh, basically uh, alluding to domestic terrorism and, and giving it a pass. And you had the CBC defending it until David Suzuki finally came up, clarified and apologized. So I, I understand that you visited um, this project as well. And it seems like a similar story that has the blessing of the First Nations communities. And then there's just a couple of really loud uh, activists that are trying to disrupt it. So can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, the coastal gas link pipeline is the perfect example that shows just how shameless these protesters are. This is a pipeline that's exporting Canadian natural gas to Asia, which is the cleanest natural gas in the world. It's going to Asia to displace coal-fired plants. So it's good for particulate pollution. It's good for um, CO2 emissions, which is what the activists claim to be so concerned about. And it's also supported by all 20 elected First Nation bands along the pipeline route. So if you were looking for some kind of pipeline that you could put up on a pedestal as, as, how, as, as kind of the ideal pipeline, this would be it. And yet they're still protesting relentlessly against it. And it's actually shameful what they've done is they've gone into these communities. They've taken, uh, again, these are, these are not homogeneous communities. Um, uh, First Nations like anybody else. They've taken one or two First Nations people, they've put them up on a pedestal and then said that somehow the pipeline is violating their rights. Uh, again, even though all 20 elected First Nation bands from Fort St. John all the way down to Kitimat where the LNG export terminal is, have signed on and support the, the pipeline, including uh, the Wet'suwet'en First Nation band. So it's, um, it's, it's disgraceful what's going on. I, I visited these protesters and at the end of the day, when, when you visited them and I had these conversations with them as part of my uh, documentary series, 
it's it's clear that they don't have any idea what's going on. They don't know the details. Um, a lot of them are are professional protesters, or you know, they're given kind of free free uh, room and board at at uh, these protest camps that have been been erected, and then. Um, the, the protest groups use the free media, earned media off of that to raise money to continue to fund themselves and to shop themselves around to billion dollar US foundations. So uh, that was quite evident that what's happening. And, and the, the sad part is, is again, it's not so much the big corporations that are getting hurt. It's the small First Nation groups and small communities in Northern BC that would have the most to gain from a project like this. It's such a shame. I mean, the way that you explain it's so clear cut and yet it seems to be this this real you know difficult issue uh, that, that that our politicians don't really know how to solve. I, I wonder. I, I remember from your politics explained documentary series, uh, you were confronted by some of these protesters. Uh, was that coastal gas or was it somewhere else? Can you walk us through what happened there? Well, uh, I guess you could say I was confronted both at at, well, at Ferry Creek at Coastal Gas Link Pipeline up by Houston. And then also someone or uh, a group of people called the Tiny House Warriors uh, that were protesting the TMX pipeline. Now, the, um, the, the, what, the, the confrontation that happened at, at TMX, was, was uh, which is just north of Kamloops, was probably in a place called Blue River, was the most animated, to put it uh, nicely. And uh, it just goes to show that so many of these people are unhinged and they don't know the facts of what they're talking about. I mean, I was up at Ferry Creek talking about the forest industry you know, none of these people actually know what they're doing there. Uh, it's the same with Coastal Gaslink, um, and it's the same with TMX. So, um, you know, these protesters, I think, I don't know what's going on in their own personal lives, but they're searching for some kind of uh, uh, philosophy that's greater than themselves, and they just latch on to it without actually knowing what they're talking about. But of course, the people running these movements know exactly what they're doing, and it is an industry. It's a multi-million dollar industry. In fact, probably close, closer to a multi-billion dollar industry. Well, yeah, uh, the point you just made reminds me of uh, Jordan Peterson, the chapter in his book, uh, you know, get your own house in order before you go out and change the world. If only if only these people on the political left would bother um, trying to learn from what uh, Dr. Peterson has to teach. So, Aaron, like, what can we do uh, about these these groups? Because, you know, the way that you're describing it, it seems like, you know, a group of people just their goal is to upend the rule of law to try to overrule uh, the democratic will of the people to have their way, like basically just stop our industry, which would have devastating effects, not just on the individual workers, but on the whole economy. Like, I don't know what they want, if not oil and gas. Like, what, Sure, you can have a, a dream of 100 years from now where we don't use fossil fuels, but that's not the reality today. And stopping Canadians from being able to, 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 to produce this this good that, that is in such demand. I mean, it's, it's just frustrating to watch. So, I mean, you studied the issue carefully, you did these documentaries on it. What, what, what do you think needs to be done? Uh, what can Canada do to, to make it clear that, you know, we uphold the rule of law and we respect industry and, and you know, we, we want to have a cleaner, safer environment, but, you know, the way that they're going about it is not going to solve those things. Yeah, I would say that the number one thing that this country is, is missing that it could use a lot of right now is, is uh, well, there's maybe two things, but the first thing would be political courage. So I think uh, politicians, uh, regardless of political party, need to draw you know, a line in the sand, a red line, 
that says, if you want to protest peacefully on the side of the road, that is 100% your right will always be your, your charter protected right in Canada, or it should be. But that line's crossed when you start infringing on the rights of on everybody else. And we start trying to um, really take anti-democratic elections. I mean, a lot of these pipelines were issues in provincial and federal elections that, that yielded certain results. And by going out and, and breaking the law and obstructing uh, people from going to work, like in the case of coastal gas linker blocking highways in Victoria and Vancouver, you're really thumbing your nose at, at democracy and the democratic decisions that Canadians made. So I think that needs to be a red line in the sand and it's time to actually get tough on these protesters. And I actually think also uh, cracking down on groups who are knowingly financing illegal activity and, fin and financing the, the illegal discord in Canada. The second thing I would say um, is, it, <laughs> is it comes down to, to people like myself and people like you, Canada's at True North, to continue to bring the truth to these issues and for Canadians who, who want to hear the truth and know what's actually going on to continue to support groups like this. Because we do, I think, have a a uh, deficit in the mainstream media of, of good solid reporting so um it's it's important to get the the facts uh, facts out there well i couldn't agree more with that second point i, I want to ask you about that first point though because well there's two things first of all we saw the trudeau government remarkably pass a law in this legislature so so you know we had a shortened parliament it was the trudeau waited until the very end of the year basically to have the house of commons sitting in one of the only pieces of law that he introduced was this law making it illegal to for protesters to block hospitals, um, you know, gearing against uh, the sort of anti-forced COVID vaccine crowd, um, pe people who, I, you know, in, in, in my estimation, uh, are rightfully protesting, being fed up with a system of lockdowns and politicians who lie. Um, but, but Trudeau went out of his way to, to put this heavy-handed law out there uh, where, where protesters, if they are blocking, and obviously no one should block hospitals, no one should harass hospital workers, that's that's uncalled for. Um, but, you know, the politics behind targeting these people, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it's noticeable that, that, that these are the people that he's trying to punish, while the other people that all this stuff is happening in British Columbia, all this stuff is happening all the time, uh, you know, they kind of turn a blind eye to it. So I, I wanted to get your take on, on Trudeau passing a lot of block hospitals. And then also in Alberta, we saw the Kenny government um, you know, do this long report studying who, who were behind all of these sort of shadowy anti-Alberta oil and gas campaigns. And I mean, the report was super interesting, uh, but, but I don't really know if it's going to lead to anything. So I, I wonder if you could comment on those two issues. Yeah, well, first on Trudeau's law, I might mention that um, you might not be familiar with it, but BC actually introduced, I don't know exactly where this is, or shockingly hasn't been challenged yet, but they actually introduced like a, it's like a bubble zone legislation. So you can't even protest on the sidewalk within a certain um, distance from, from hospitals. It's like a couple kilometers or something like that. Um, and again, at the same time, we're basically allowing activists to, to shut down highways and arteries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that in, some, in many cases are actually important to, for people actually trying to get to the hospital among uh, many other important things. So um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it shows a double standard, but I think it also shows when it comes to the environmental groups, this isn't just an assortment of, of individual people who uh, are, are fearing being, being arrested. This is an organized campaign. Up in Ferry Creek, they know exactly what they're doing. People sign up, who's prepared to be arrested? Have you been arrested before? Okay, maybe you don't want to do it because the judge will be harder on you. 
They've got people waiting to, to grant you bail to pay all your legal fees. So it's an organized campaign of a legal protest. And I think that's the, the big difference and that's why they've been more resilient. But again, it just comes down to political courage where you need to have politicians who are, who are willing to take them on and not to basically get, get pushed around but by what really is like one, 2% of the population who thinks that extremist tactics can, can dictate their will to everybody else. And then what did you think about the uh, study out of Alberta? Do you think, did, did, you, did you look into it? Do you think that that kind of initiative is helpful? Do you think it'll lead to anything? Uh, what, what's your take on that, on that initiative? Well, I think that um, it could lead to something as far as the potential of financing groups that are engaging in illegal activities. And maybe there's some law that, again, it would take political courage from the federal space. But, but beyond that, I think, look, these left-wing groups, we all know they're getting big dollar funding. They're getting U.S. funding um, to, to wage these campaigns. And it's up to people that, that, are, that are proud of Canada, want to stand up for Canada, Canada's resource industries and independent media to stand up uh, against them and for people to support those individuals, such as yourself at True North. Um, as far as like having a, you know, the, the, the information war, the misinformation war, or trying to combat these narratives. I mean, that is part of democracy. I think that, um, and the fact that we've been able to shed light on it, uh, I think is a good thing. But I, I think the bigger thing actually is that conservatives, but particularly conservative politicians need to step their game up and, and go after these groups and, and, and shine the light on what they really are. And I think Canadians are smart enough to make, their, to make the appropriate decisions if, if uh, politicians actually take the lead, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think that there would be a huge appetite for a politician who is willing uh, to speak out against this, this chaos, this lawlessness. And you, know, you make a good point about how we protect hospital workers, as, as we should. Um, but why don't we extend that same courtesy to the blue collar workers in Northern British Columbia, Northern Vancouver Island, who are just trying to go to work in the same way as doctors and nurses? It, it, there really is a double standard, and you know it's 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 it, it speaks, I think, volumes about uh, the sort of snobbiness of the the legacy media and politicians who who cheerlead uh, you know the laws against uh, protecting doctors and, and nurses, and and then completely, like we said, turn a blind eye. Well, Aaron, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the Canis Monthly Show. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and a merry Christmas. Thank you, Candice. Merry Christmas and Happy uh, New Year to you as well. All right. Thank you so much. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.